and catch away those that are watching and waiting for him. And in that, in Matthew 28 and Luke 17, those are called the apocalyptic chapters of the Bible. They're the ones that deal with the signs of the time. Uh, Matthew 24, maybe a little bit more than Luke 17, but Matthew 24, as they are observing the gorgeous temple that Solomon had built to worship God in, and it was a masterpiece. It was uh, several million dollars to construct if you were to do the finances of that day to our day. The solid gold furniture, the, the, the walls, the gates, it was, it was an incredible masterpiece. And as they were looking at that masterpiece, Jesus told the disciples that a day was coming when that temple would be leveled and every stone removed and it would be disseminated and it would be destroyed. And uh, as he went out to the Mount of Olives, the disciples, in reflection to what he said about the temple, they said, Master, tell us what shall these things be and what shall be the signs of thy coming? And as Jesus gave a list of eight or ten things that would take place in the last days, I counted yesterday of the eight things that Jesus said would take place in the last days. We have encountered all eight of those in our generation. Our generation has seen the, the prophecy of the Lord revealed concerning the last days. And the final uh, sign was that this gospel shall be preached into all the world for a witness and then shall the end come. You understand that when Jesus shared this, the gospel was limited to the area of Judea, 12 men and him leading them. But as you know, there was a worldwide revival and uh, the entire world tasted the gospel but did not see the gospel. Through three satellites that are circling our earth right now, the gospel, this gospel that we have in our hand is now touching 197 countries of the world. So the prophecy that he said wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in diverse places, if ever we're living in a generation of rumors of wars, North Korea has invented a bomb that is 17 times more powerful than Hiroshima, 17 times more powerful than the atomic bomb that we launched to end World War II. We know that Iran is taking her assets of oil and she's funding ISIS and she's funding the Taliban. We all watched a few days ago as Mexico was, was, uh, was shaken at its very core and an earthquake of 7.1, and it's a miracle. There weren't many more deaths than, than what was determined from last weekend. And then we look at Irma, and we look at Maria, and we look at hur hurricanes that are, that are crashing into our coast, and we look at the storm of Puerto Rico, and apparently that entire island has been devastated, and now they are in fear of their dam imploding. And uh, thousands of lives were, were evacuated yesterday. 70,000 people were evacuated yesterday. And when you line these things up, when you line all these calamities and all these tragedies, and even on our own soil, we're in St. Louis because of an officer being acquitted. Uh, there's violence and rooting and, uh, and looting, not rooting, <laughs> and, and looting. And uh, if, you, if you were to turn on the what we call the fake news. The fake news is not really being honest with us and tell us exactly what's going on. But these are hazardous days. This is a hazardous season. 
North Korea has a kamikaze attitude. Iran has a kamikaze attitude. Iran hates Israel, and North Korea hates South Korea and our involvement in that war several years ago. And so we are literally living on the preface of what Jesus said would take place before the second coming of the Lord. And I know there have been, sir, I know all about Rosh Hashanah. And again, I am not a, I'm, I'm not a Jew, so I don't celebrate the feast. Now, if I was a Jew, I would celebrate, but I'm not a Jew. I'm a Christian. And, and uh, because I am a Christian, I celebrate the New Testament that God has given us through the words of his son and the words of others. And so I believe the Lord could literally come back at any time. I can't see except for one thing. I've always felt like before the return of the Lord, I always felt like that there would be a worldwide revival that hundreds of thousands would come back to know the Lord. I've always, I've, for some reason, the Bible talks about multitudes in the valley of decision on the day of the Lord. I don't see the Lord coming back, and I'm not saying the church is weak or anemic. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we could be a lot stronger than we are, and I said we could take, have, we can make a, a lot more difference than we're making in the world. But the Bible says the Lord is coming back for a bride that is watching and waiting for him. And in that watching and waiting, it doesn't mean that we're on vacation or it doesn't mean that we're taking a selah, but we're doing everything we know to do to be what God has called us to be, to do what God has called us to do in this particular season. I spoke this week earlier about the peeling of an onion, how we will peel the onion or we will peel the, um, uh, what is the, it's not Brussels sprouts, it, uh, artichoke. An artichoke, we will peel the, we will peel the, the limbs back and the end of every limb. I don't know if you've ever dipped that in mayonnaise or salad dressing and ate that little bite. And then when you got to the heart of the matter, I don't know if you like artichokes or not. I happen to love artichokes. But I was thinking about, Josh, the opposite of peeling the onion, and that is the layering of Christianity. And I, it's my personal opinion, it's, per, it's my personal thought that every moment spent with God, you're putting a layer of God on. The Bible says that God clothed Gideon with himself. And as we put on the garment of praise and as we, as we meet weekly, whether it's Wednesday or whether it's Sunday or whether it's Tuesday or whether it's Thursday, every time that we gather together, if it's just a Bible study, men's fellowship in the kitchen, we are putting on a layer of God that makes us stronger it makes us healthier. It makes us more secure in what we believe and what we know. And the word says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as many will do in the last days. And I know now through the power of television, I'll be honest with you, it is tough to compete with Christian television because of the millions of dollars they spend to create the right, the right stage, the right ambiance, the right, the right music. I mean, if you were to surf through the channels and look at all the Christian stations today, there's a bunch of them. And I thank God for that. But I don't think that Christian television or radio was ever designated or designed to replace the church. I think something happens in a corporate anointing, a corporate blessing, that when we together declare the name of Jesus, I believe it does something. I believe that praise is your sword, and we know that praise is horizontal, as you and I begin to praise the Lord together, enemies are defeated. 
Worship is our spear. As you begin to focus your worship up instead of horizontal, vertical, it's, it's like a spear, and that, and that spear is worship that gets us into the presence of God. And as I look at the life of David, I'm learning that David was a worshiper before he was a warrior. And as you look at the, the, the story of David, and we touched on it two weeks ago where God sent Samuel. You know what? Let me, let me, just, let me just back up and, and stick with the order that God has given me this message this morning. I wrote down this morning, and I don't know if it's a quote from somebody famous. If not, I'm going to claim it for myself. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe I have read it, or, and maybe I have. But anyway, there's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. There's nothing said that hasn't already been said. There's nothing saying that hasn't already been sung. And so this is just a thought that I had this morning that says it's never too late to be what you might have been. Is that profound? Should I write a book with that title? It's never too late to be what you might have been. And as we look at the life of some of God's champions, and I'm reminded about the life of Joshua. And I'm reminded of Joshua at the age of 40, begin to follow. Catch him? Excellent. So we are now safe from wasps and, and all flying bugs. We are now, we are protected. God has raised up in this congregation men and women to protect us from anything that could hurt or harm us. Give, the, give those guys a hand clap of appreciation. It's never too late to be what you might have been. And it all has to do with timing where God's at and what God needs done. And I want to begin this morning with a little boy by the name of Samuel. And as I watch Jade and I watch Christine and I watch Bailey and I watch Garrett and I watch our youth lifting their hands and worshiping and, and, and ministering to the Lord, it reminds me of my childhood. And I don't know if you can relate to what I'm about to share, but my childhood growing up, I really never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I can remember going to youth camp and, and feeling all warm and fuzzy and crying. And we would pray for each other. And, and a lot of times it's more about the guy praying for the girl that he liked because you could get away with it in an altar service. You could do stuff in the altars you couldn't do, you know, out behind the cabin. And you, you, get, my, you get my drift. But when I grew up, I grew up with my, my parents' relationship of Jesus Christ. I went to their church, I, I sang their music, I read their Bible, I served their God. Does that make sense? It wasn't until a lot older, probably about at the age of 26 or 27, I determined that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm reminded of a life of Samuel. Samuel was probably 12 years of age, and things where Samuel was involved in were out of order the sons of Eli were out of order. They were not doing the work of the Lord. They were actually taken away from the things of God, and they were putting a, a bad taste and a bad spin on God. And so God called Samuel by his name. And you know the story. Samuel woke up, heard his name, thought it was Eli, went to, and what we all remember Eli. Does anybody remember the story of Eli? Do you remember the story of Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horse and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That nursery rhyme comes from the book of Samuel, where when Eli was sitting on a wall, 
and his sons had the audacity to try to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle, and they were defeated. They lost their life. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. When they came back to tell Eli what had happened in battle, what had happened to the Ark of the Covenant, and what had happened to his sons, the Bible says he fell off the wall and he died. The Word says that, that, that um, Eli was obese and uh, his fall killed him. How many didn't know that that's where Humpty Dumpty came from? So there you have it. So two, two great things this morning I have, I have left with you. But I do have, I do have a, a, a thought to turn around that nursery rhyme. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. The king's horses and the king's men couldn't do it, but the king could have done it. The king could have done it. And if you feel like you've fallen, you can't get up. I love that. I love that commercial. I think every every 11 minutes they save someone's life. Help, I'm falling. I can't get up. And, I, you know, the older I get, the more I can relate to. It's not that I've fallen. It's just that I'm laying down and I can't get up. And I got to maneuver one leg, I, the, you know, you put your left foot in, you put your left foot out, and you play the hokey pokey to try to even get out of bed. Then you stagger towards the coffee pot. I know I'm not talking to anybody in this building. And you get that favorite cup of coffee because you got that curry that they didn't have years ago. So you get your, your pleasure by the cup. And then I, I stumble, and I usually meet Pastor Rhonda staggering down the steps. Um, she takes one step at a time. We don't have a rail. So she's, so she's careful coming down, and I will go up, and I will take my coffee, and I will open my window, and then I'll drink a cup of coffee with the Holy Spirit and just wake up in the morning. But when I was a child, I didn't have that kind of relationship. When I, but when I look at Samuel, Samuel had the kind of relationship that God trusted him enough to call his name. And the third time that God, or the second time that God called Samuel's name, Eli realized that God was trying to say something to Samuel and so Eli gave him counsel, said, listen, next time you hear your name, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And so I think about pursuing the things of God to being what God calls us to be. It's important that some way, shape, or form, we have the voice of God speaking in our life. And that's either through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, or that's through worship, or that's through reading. But it's important to know the voice of God. Because how many knows there's a lot of voices out there right now, and there's a lot of voices giving counsel. And I pray daily for our president, who it looks like he surrounded himself with competent people that have the ability to tell him what's going on and what he needs to do. Now, we've got a tweeting president. I have never, ever personally tweeted. I don't know how to tweet. I don't know how to get a tweet. I thought a tweet was a was the sound that the little bird that the cat always chased. What was that little bird's name? Was it Tweety Bird? Tweety, there you have it. Tweety Bird tweets, and, and I have never been a tweeter. But thank God that we have the ability to hear the voice of the Lord. And we can hear it in our devotions. We can hear it in a service. We can hear it in a Bible study. We can hear it when two or three get together and begin to talk about the things of God. We know that God's voice will be heard. Then I think about the story of David. David was the baby. I know a lot of times the baby is spoiled and it's assumed the baby can't do anything. The baby's the baby. You coddle the baby and you protect the baby and you spoil the baby. How many babies do we have? You are the baby in your family. And, and you've been coddled and spoiled. And get, Lift your hand. You've been coddled and spoiled. 
and you weren't expected to do things that your older brother and sister did because you were the baby. David was the baby, and when Samuel went to Jesse's house to anoint the king, Jesse had six sons, and they were all good-looking kids, and they were all tall and strong and, and uh, vivacious, and, and, uh, but God said, no, these aren't, this, is not, this is not the one. And Samuel said, well, do you have one more? Do you have any other kids? And, oh, yeah, there's David, and David is out taking care of the sheep. And let me tell you something about sheep caring, taking care of sheep. Sheep are very boring. They eat, sleep, and do the other thing, and that's all they do. And they're boring, and it's very boring taking care of sheep. But David took that time, not wasted, and David perfected two things. He perfected the harp, and he perfected the slingshot. He was so good with the slingshot, you know the story that he hit Goliath right between the eyes as he was running towards Goliath. He wasn't standing still. He was running and had the ability to sling that rock and hit the only place vulnerable, those crosshairs. There was, one, there was one little place on Goliath's forehead that was not armored, and David's rock hit that. And there's no telling how many hundreds of times, Gene, that David set something up and they begin to sling a rock at it and try to hit it. The other thing that David had perfected as a shepherd was the art of worship. You don't hear too much of this, but Saul was a king that had a lot of personal problems. And, and Paul dealt with jealousy. And, de and, and Saul dealt with low self-esteem. If you remember, when, when they wanted a king, God did not select a king that was the best warrior. God did not select a king that had the most going for him. God did select a king from the best livestock, the, the best ancestry. God selected Sa Saul because he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. That's the only reason he was selected. The people wanted a king. God said, I'll give you a king. I'll give you a king that's taller than anybody else. And in that, in that insecurity, I mean, today it's okay to be tall. Uh, the other day I asked somebody, I said, um, did, you play, did you play basketball? And he said, no, did you, did you race peewee race cars? I said, he said, just because you assume I'm tall, I played basketball. Well, I'm assuming you're short. You, you did those little race cars. Can anybody? Well, never mind. That, that's, today it's okay to be tall. And if you don't believe it's okay to be tall, if you're going to battle, you're going to have someone like Brother David going with you because he's over six foot and you want somebody tall that can protect you. Hello. But in that generation, it was not okay to be tall. You were a freak. And Saul dealt with all that insecurity he dealt with all that low self-esteem. He dealt with going from rags to riches overnight. He becomes the king. And we know that Saul does not pursue God, the things of God, or the favor of God. And Saul had lost the ability to hear from God. And when David said, I will fight the giant, he, he was aware of the, the, the rewards. Did you ever notice that people who can't seem to do anything the moment you try to do it, they tell you you can't do it? Did you ever notice that? Nobody could kill the, the giant. So when David said, I'll take him out, all of a sudden they said, well, you're just a child or, or, or you're, you're too small or you're too this or you, you're too that. And you know what David said? David said, you know, I might look like a child, but let me tell you about my life. I take care of somebody else's sheep. I am responsible for someone else's property. I'm responsible for someone else's equity. I watch over my dad's sheep, and dad and I have an understanding. If something happens to the sheep, I get a spanking. So I am not going to do anything to irritate my dad. 
I'm going to take care of my dad's sheep. And one day while I was taking care of my dad's sheep, a lion roared against the flock. Now, I'm sure the lion didn't look like this. We went to Cabela's last night, and we saw a beautiful mountain lion up in a tree like it was getting ready to pounce. And I don't have, I have no intentions of taming a mountain lion. Uh, I had a, 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 a situation about two months ago where I determined it was God's will for our cat to meet Courtney's dog. Courtney held the dog. I held the cat. I was going to let him touch noses. But when I got the cat close to touch the dog's nose, she had none of it. She did a little twist flip. She got me in the eye, and she got me in the arm, and she drew blood. And I immediately flung her from my presence, and she ran across the road. And the, some, guy, some guy came, and some guy come coming around the curve, and I shouted at him to slow down because Courtney's dog was running against the road. And I, they stopped immediately. And I, and I said, man, I didn't know I had that much authority. But then I realized, Michael, I had blood running down my face like this. And he probably thought I was a mass murderer or something trying to get away. The point I made, I don't want to deal with a house cat, much less take on a lion. But David had a responsibility to his father's flock, just as you have a responsibility to the ministry that God has raised you up in, and you're protective of that. And when something comes against that, you make up your mind that you're going to defeat that. And then David said, if the lion is not the proof in the pudding, one day I was taking care of my father's sheep and a bear, and here's my bear, and a bear, and I don't think the bear looked like that, but a bear roared. Uh, I have seen three bear in the wild. Uh, two of them were at night. I went to uh, Minnesota to bear hunt, and we were staying in Wisconsin. And one night, headed to headed to um, the place we were staying, there was two bear out in the road. I got to see the bear, and uh, and then I remember several years ago we were hunting Owl Hollow, and I put a kid in a ground blind and told him to stay there. I'd come get him at dark, and Gene, I went at dark to get him. He wasn't there, and I went back to the truck. And he was in the truck, and he was shaking. I said, why, why are you shaking? Why are you in the truck? He said, because I was in that ground blind, and a bear came out of the woods and walked through the food plot, and I got scared, and I ran and got in the truck. Well, I said, there's no bear out here. There's no, we're hunting deer. There's no bear out here. So we get ready to leave that evening, and as we pull out, there's another truck leaving that had some property behind us lease and they were hunting that we had our lease and they had their lease and we just stopped to visit and the guy said hey by the way uh beware of the bear i said excuse me he said yeah on my trail cam we've got a bear that's going to our food plots and and so i looked at the kid i told him i had i'd apologize because i thought he didn't really see a bear he probably just saw a raccoon and it scared him whatever but i have i have no desire Unless I have a 7-millimeter mag or a 44 mag or a 357, I have, I have no desire to confront a lion or a bear. But David had to because he was taking care of something that God had entrusted him to, and it was more important that his life is more important than his ministry. He said, I've got to take care of this lion and this bear. And I want to tell you about your, I want to tell you about your Goliath, no matter what your glass seems to be, you already have on your mantle, you have a bear that you have conquered and you have a lion that you have conquered. And if you can take on the lion and you can take on the bear, you can certainly take on the Goliath.
because the, the Goliath promotes you into ministry. The, the, the Goliath promotes you to prosperity, promotes you to the favor of the Lord. And there are people in this room right now that you have defeated the, 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 the line of divorce. You've defeated the line of drug abuse. Courtney has defeated the, the line of open heart surgery, the death of a husband. She killed her lion. She's killed her bear. She is now qualified to take on her Goliath. And you need to realize this morning, regardless of what the enemy tells you that you are or you are not, you've already defeated your lion. You've already defeated your bear. The fact that you're here today says that you are a survivor, that you turned your worship into warfare, and those gifts that God has given you in worship, you've realized that you can use those gifts to defeat the enemy in your worship. Your worship will defeat every snare of the enemy, every attack of the enemy, everything the enemy tries to bring your way. And it's not just worship, two songs on Wednesday night and three songs on Sunday morning, but you can live your life of worship. You can, live, you can live your life of warfare that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you can lift up a standard against him in your praise and your worship, and your enemy has to flee at the mention of his name. Has to flee. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So when Paul realized he had that adrenaline and he had that God connection, Paul realized nothing the enemy could do could stop and hinder him except what Paul allowed the enemy to stop and hinder him. I don't know if you've ever tried to coax a child to jump off a diving board. I don't know if you've ever tried to it, it, try to encourage a child to jump off the edge of the pool into the water. And having a bunch of nieces and nephews in my life growing up, uh, we didn't coach them. Uh, we didn't encourage them. We just pushed them. And uh, we, we, we made them swim the hard way. If they didn't, if they didn't swim, they were going to drown. Of course, we would have saved them. We wouldn't but they learned how to swim. And I don't, I don't know if anybody can relate to the enemy trying to push you and trying to intimidate you. But there's times in your life when you decide and realize, I have stayed in this growth so, so, so long. It's time now for me to grow it's time for me to step out of adolescence. I need to step into maturity. I need to be what God has called me to be and do what God has called you to do. So we have the voice of God through speaking through Samuel. We have the Spirit of God anointing David for battle. And then I want to look at the, at the life of Joshua. Joshua was 40 when they came out of Egypt. For 40 years, you know, they wandered in circles. And then Moses died and God raised Joshua up. And he said, you're going to be the one that's going to take them into the promised land. You're going to encounter the enemy. You're going to do great and mighty exploits for God. But God told Joshua this. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. And you got to understand, all Joshua had was the five books and the two Psalms that Moses had written. That was all he had. Moses, in his lifetime, wrote the first five books of the Bible, probably wrote Psalms 90, and probably wrote another, another book, another chapter in the book of Psalms. But that's all Joshua had. He didn't have the writings of Paul. He didn't have the writings of Jesus. He didn't have the writings of all the prophets. All he had was, was the first five books of the Old Testament. But God said, that's all you need to survive. That's all you need to overcome. That's all you need to be what I've called you to be. And we look at the life of Joshua and the great explo exploits he did because he had the word of the Lord. Then we look at us that now we don't just have five books and two chapters. We have 66 
books of the Bible that help us grow, that help us mature. We have the full manifestation of the gospel. And God said, I want you to take what you've got and take what you've learned, and I want you to pursue the enemy, chase the enemy down, destroy the enemy, and pr protect those that I placed under your care from the enemy. You've killed your lion. You've killed your bear. It's time now to kill your Goliath. Your Goliath, your, your Goliath brings promotions. I wrote down something here. I'm reading a book. I think I've already read it, but the book is written by a husband and wife team. I think they're out of uh, Maryland or somewhere in that area. That doesn't matter. But the book is entitled, If You Had 30 Days to Live, What Would You Do Different? If you got a death sentence today or a rapture sentence today or a God sentence today, and God said, you've got 30 days upon this earth, and then you're gone. You're going to come where I'm at. You're going to do what you're going to hang out with me. What would you do different? And I wrote down three things that I feel like that I would do different. If I, if I was given, uh, first of all, if, if I had something that was, that was contagious, I would make a list of everybody I would want to bite. I know it's funny, but it's a lot truer sometimes than we'd like to. We'd like to. I saw, I think Courtney put on her post today, said, Lord, would you just slap somebody silly today because I can't, I can't do it or whatever. How many, how many can relate to the feeling? And it's just amazing how small a little person can become behind the little wheel of a car. They turn into a raging, roaring giant, road rage, and it's, it's always funny to me, the person that honks at me when they pass me, I'm ready to glare at them, just some little old, little old, just a little old piece of flesh sitting in the seat saying, I could whip them with one hand tied behind my back. What were they thinking honking their horn at me? But if you had 30 days, if you were told today you have 30 days left upon this earth, what would you do? Nicole, I think the first thing that I would do is I would pursue with all my might my own personal relationship with the Lord. I think that I would make appointments. I think I would set up opportunities. I think that I would get around where God's at and what God is blessing and be a part of that. And I think that I would pursue God with all of my heart to know him as I've never known him before and to feel him as I've never felt him before and to be what I have never been in his presence and in his glory. That was the first thing. The second thing is that I would like to think if I had 30 days to live, that I would do all that God has called me to do, that I would left one eye undotted, one T uncrossed, that the, the fulfillment of my destiny and purpose and everything he wanted me to be and everything he wanted me to do, I would like to know what that was, and I would like to pursue it with all of my heart, with all of my energy, knowing I had 30 days to live. Third, the third thing, if I knew that I only had 30, 30 days to live, then I would speak prophetically to the dead things in my life and expect them to come to life. And I'll show you, I'll show you here in the, in, the, in the Bible where this promise or this, this possibility is available. When David pursued and ran towards the giant with that, with that sling and he hit the giant, the stone did not kill the giant. The stone knocked the giant down. There are times when God's going to give you words that's going to knock your giant down, but then God has given you the ability to go and cut the head off of your giant. Uh, next week, if the Lord allows, I'm going to have in this, and I'm not sure uh, how tall it will be uh, by this time next week, but I have a weed that's growing in my yard that I have left alone. And this weed right now 
is seven foot tall. And it's just a little tiny container. And I'm, I'm believing that the weed is going to flower and something's going to come out of that flower. I mean, I'm, I mean that's, just, that's just what I'm believing. I, know, I don't know that it will. I don't know that it won't. But there are a lot of times that we realize the power of our words. We're planting seed in the ground that God is watching over, God is watering, and God is allowing to, 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 to approach harvest that we might use it for his glory. But a lot of times we give up on the words that we've spoken. We give up on the decrees that we have made. We give up on the promises that we have declared and we have uttered. But when David did what God called him to do, and David ran towards Goliath, and David, and David hit him with that rock, the Bible says that David probably picked up a sword that weighed, as, uh, that weighed about as much as he did. And I don't know if you'll, if you'll notice a weightlifter a weightlifter may, may weigh 200 pounds, and a weightlifter may try to bench 300 pounds, 100 pounds more than his weight. But David had to pick up a sword that probably weighed as much or more than he did to show you how, what, kind of, what kind of chore that would have been. I encourage every one of you to go to gym this, gym this afternoon and go to a pull-up bar and hold on to the pull-up bar and see how many times you can put your chin over the pull-up bar. And I would dare venture, and I'm not going to look around while I'm saying this, but I would dare venture there are people in this room that probably cannot do one single pull-up. And uh, but but <laughs> of course that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about, other than David did it. David picked up what the enemy intended to use against David. David took that intention and turned it against the enemy and took the enemy's life. He took Goliath's head from his body. And then David began to walk up and down the streets of the city with that, with that head. That hairy head had a hold of it. It's dripping blood, all the guts and all that stuff. And he's holding it up. And here's what happens. You've got to realize the people of God have been intimidated by this one giant. Not by an army, but by one giant. He intimidated every one of their warriors. So God brings a kid out from the backside of the desert that all he knew to do was to, to worship and warfare, that's all he knew, to kill lions and kill bears and, and to worship. God brings him out. David kills Goliath, takes his head from his body. And what happens, the, the ladies line up on one side of the street. And the Bible says the handmaidens or the virgins line up on the other side of the street. And everybody on this side of the street, all the married women begin to sing and shout and dance and say this. Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul had been a warrior. Saul had been to battle. Saul had led the army of God to battle, had several great successes. And probably the hands of Saul and his army, he'd killed thousands. But as David walked down the streets, the handmaidens with the new song of the Lord, the new word of the Lord said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. No, David had only killed one, and that was Goliath. But it was a prophetic word of prophecy that the maids were speaking that although David had killed one, David was going to go ahead in his life and he was going to kill thousands. And if you look at the story of David, there was a battle where he and a warrior together killed a thousand warriors in one afternoon. You begin to realize David began to kill thousands of the enemy while Saul was pursuing him, trying to kill him, take him out. You ever feel like you're trying to help somebody and trying to kill you and take you out? But while, while David was going through that, the Bible says that David was killing thousands. And here's the point that I want to make today. If I had 30 days to live, and I knew that I had 30 days to live, I would like to think 
that I would prophetically begin to speak things into existence as God ordained them, as God planned them, and that God promised me that they would take place. If you have an unsaved child, I would like to prophetically begin to thank God. That child's in the church. Hands are lifted up, worshiping, praising. If you're praying for a marriage, I would like to see that marriage healthy. If you're praying for your finances, I would like to prophetically begin to see plenty of money to do what God's called me to do and plenty of money to be what God's called me to be. Do I have a friend in the house today that God has? Give, go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of, a, of, a, of appreciation. And that's, what I, and that's what I have for you this morning. I like, I like the fact that God can speak to us as children. We look at Christine's generation, Garrett's generation, that they know they have their own relationship with the Lord, and God can speak to them. I like the fact that God has anointed us like he anointed David and has put his spirit on us. And, and the word says, where would I go except your spirit go with me? So everywhere we go, we know we've got the voice of God, we've got the spirit of God, and the fact that God chose Joshua God has chosen us for great exploits that we can't even grasp, that we can't even fathom because the Goliaths in our life are roaring at us and telling us we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this. Yes, we can. What's that commercial says? Oh, yes, we can. We can do all things through Christ which strengthens us, and that includes taking out the Goliaths in our life because with every Goliath comes growth. Every Goliath you kill, that's experience, that's battle experience, that's war experience. And the next time when the enemy comes in, it's not quite that intimidating because you got a lion on your mantle, you got a bear on your mantle, and you got the blood of Goliath's head hitting on the ground, and you realize, I really can do all God's called me to do with the help of God because God would have never called me unless he empowers me to do what he's called me to do. And so that leaves us where? That leaves us, what is God calling us to do? What is the purpose? What is the plan? How am I to get stronger? How am I to get more focused? How am I, how am I to become more effective in the work that God has called me to do? Every single one of us have different goals, obviously. Every single one of us have different callings, obviously. So I cannot tell you what you need to do to grow stronger. I cannot tell you what you need to do to hear from the voice of the Lord. You have got to determine those things for yourself. You have got to set a mark, make a mark, pursue a mark. Despise not small beginnings. Don't get overwhelmed by great big things, but begin to take off one little thing at a time. And I'll conclude. When I was, um, when I was, when I was younger, probably 15 or 16 years of age, I worked for a... Uh, a tree guy, and we didn't have uh, we didn't have a chipper, and we didn't have a grinder, and uh, we didn't have a lot of tools that they have today. So when we took on a tree, we took on a tree, and we got down and we began to dig among the roots, and we would move that dirt. And you couldn't use the chainsaw if dirt was there because the dirt dulled the blade. So you had to get down on your hands and knees with whatever tool you liked the best—a hoe, or a mattock, or an axe, or the claws of a hammer. And you begin to dig that dirt away and begin to dig those roots away. And you begin to hack at the roots and whack at the roots. And, and I worked for a guy that he, wasn't, he didn't have a lot of patience. And I can remember not once, not twice, but probably I can remember a hundred times him tying a chain down there where I had dug. And he would wrap a chain around the trunk. And then he would tie the, 
he would tie the chain to the bumper of the truck. And then I would have a little slack, and then I would get in the truck, and I would put it down in the granny gear. And he'd say, okay, Hank, hit it. And I would, and I would go, and I would bump, and, and the truck would stop because the, 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 the truck was in the ground. And, the, and then we would get out, and then, and then, Michael, we would hack a little bit more, and we'd cut a little bit more, and we just, you know, every, every root was a, was a pain, and we'd hack and we'd whack. And I remember one year that I decided that I was tired of whacking on the limb, so what I did was he gave me some room. Well, I took a little bit more room, and I backed up about eight more feet, and I said, I'm going to give it all she's got. I put that truck down in first gear. I popped out that clutch, and then I burnt rubber, and I was gonna pull that tr- I was gonna pull that trunk out of the ground, and lo and behold, when we got to the end of the chain, the chain broke, came all the way over the front of the truck, and broke out the windshield. What's your point? Your point is, don't give up, till the roots are all removed. Don't give up, till the stumps in your life are removed, and you take that ground that's fresh now that fresh dirt and you can plant whatever you want to plant and watch it grow for the glory of the Lord Father we thank you this morning for the lions and the bears in our life that you've helped us overcome and Lord mentally as we begin to make a list of the of the things that we have done through your name the power of your name the things that we've recovered from the restoration the the favor the blessings the growth we're not we're not pleased with where we're at but we're not where we used to be we're, we're pursuing closer and closer, near and near, pursuing your plans and your purpose. Show us clearly. Begin to revisit some things you spoke over us when, when we were young. Remind us of the things that we have overcome. We are not a wimp. We are not a wuss. But we have done great things to your word. We've stayed committed. We've stayed focused. Now allow us to take back what the enemy has stolen to take ground that belongs to us, to harvest things that's been planted for our benefit, for our glory, and give us that tenacity. Give us the voice. Give us the anointing and, and, and call us to great exploits because we will not bow. We will not bend. We will serve you. We will see victory. We'll see breakthrough. In Jesus' name we pray. And they all said, amen. Thank